As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 133 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 133, that is the OPS plus of Buster Posey in 2010 and 2015. Uh, his OPS plus right now is 223, which is a little bit better. <laughs> but 133, that's his Rookie of the Year OPS plus. Uh, that is pretty darn good. You know, if Buster Posey were qualified for the batting title, which it's 3.1 plate appearances per team game, and he's a catcher, so he's not playing every day. And he'll get there, I think. But uh, um, he's right now, I think, 21 plate appearances short of being listed, at least, as a qualified participant. He would have like a 26-point lead over everybody else <laughs> in Major League Baseball. I mean, we know batting averages are down. Usually someone will be right around 400, you know, in, in, in May, and then they'll tail off like a Charlie Blackman or something. No one is even close this year. I mean, barely anyone's hitting 350, which, you know, will even out. But then you've got Buster Posey sitting there hitting like 380-something. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty darn awesome, not only what he's doing, but that he's doing it in the current context of baseball. Yeah, and it's it's also not just like he's he's getting lucky on balls in play and what you have is just, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a high batting average but it's going to come down. It's on base percentages, 466. Uh, that is also absurd. So if he were to qualify, like you said, he would be uh, leading the on-base percentage category for baseball, and he'd be leading it by, let's see, 24 points. So it, he's doing, like, everything, and it's kind of freaky. Yeah, and some of the usual suspects are not up there. You know, Juan Soto has been kind of a freaky on-base machine, and he isn't off to a good start. Um, and, uh, you know, Joey Votto is not the Joey Votto he used to be, obviously. Um, but yeah, Buster has been as, as, as much on base as anybody in, in the major leagues. And 
you know, you wonder how disciplined they're going to be about giving him full days off, not using him off the bench so much, um, not putting him at first base. I mean, you know, there's still a lot this offense has to do to get rolling. They're missing some personnel still. Just got Alex Dickerson back, but he really hasn't kind of been Alex Dickerson all year yet. Um, you know, Mikey Stremski's starting to come around a little bit, hit a big homer in Pittsburgh the other day, but they might get to a point where if Buster stays hot and this offense stays not so hot that they might have to revisit uh, just just how often they play him when he's not catching. It's honestly been one of the most impressive things that Gabe Kapler has done this year is refrain from using Posey more because I always it's it's taken great restraint to just say, you know what, every every third day he's going to sit. That's how we're going to keep him healthy. That's how we're going to get productive. There has to be that, that, that devil on the side of his shoulder going, no, put him in at first. And, you know, no, 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 he can play today. He says he's fine. And I just the idea that that he's not giving into that yet. I, I don't know. It says something about his, his managerial strategy. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who when he wants some ice cream, he'll 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 eat it and spit it out. I mean, he's he's very disciplined. OK, and, and that happened once. And it was, you know, I guess kind of has been blown out of proportion. But it actually does kind of tell you just this is a guy who's disciplined. And, uh, you know, you do have to you can't be too static. You got to react to to what's going on around you. And and honestly, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at the extra inning loss they had in what was that Saturday's game or Sunday's game um, at Pittsburgh, I mean, that told you a lot just to how he managed the extra innings, even in a loss. And a lot of the buttons he pushed were really good buttons, really creative, bringing in Austin Slater as an extra infielder, um, you know, when they had the winning run at third base, uh, who he decided to pitch to, who he didn't. And you, you get the sense that I think one of the biggest things talking to people in Philadelphia that was a concern is that he would have his plan and he it would be incredibly well researched and it would be incredibly thoughtful. But then when the game started to deviate away from that plan, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily so great at kind of running with the fly. And right now, I think I see a guy who manages pretty well in, in the flow of a game. And, uh, you know, some of his relief options have have not worked out. And I think that's probably more of a personnel issue than a usage issue. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I have to say I've been pretty impressed with the way that he has been a game manager this season. Would you say that he is uh, trusting the process? Um, he is trusting the process. Yes. Is that uh, that's a Philadelphia 76ers-ism, is <laughs> it, it is. not? It is. He's, it's, it's a very Philadelphia thing. So uh, Phillies fans, if you're listening, uh, they're going to hate that. Um, but this this brings us to that pirate series because okay one of my least favorite sayings in baseball and just one of my least favorite uh, it's a tie is like kissing your sister because this implies that well you know there's there's some good that's coming out of kissing your sister no that's always been the weirdest freaking <laughs> saying like it's not like those things are on even terms but splitting a series against the pirates is like something it's like blank it's just this unfulfilled they, they probably should have at least had three of four they could have swept it i believe they outplayed the pirates by like a billion t percent and at the same time they came away with a split help me feel something about this is it, a split against the pirates is it good is it bad could have been worse i think the good that came out of it is that alex wood stepped up and they won the last game because if they had if they had lost um, the getaway day on Sunday, that would have been their first three-game losing streak of the season. I mean, that's pretty cool. You've got a team that's played a quarter of the season, and their longest losing streak is two games. And if they could say that same thing when they get halfway through the season, I could pretty much guarantee you they're still going to be in first place. 
Uh, I mean, it's 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 getting on winning streaks and avoiding the losing streaks. Those are the teams that just build and bank wins. And you know, uh, I think that the rotation once again showed that um, you know someone can step up and be a stopper when 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 things start to to leak oil a little bit because they didn't play very well in Pittsburgh. I didn't think uh, the Pirates you know gave them a ton of extra lives and and um, and you know they made some great defensive plays the Giants did but I thought that there were a lot of pitches they could have done damage on that they didn't there were a lot of very self-inflicted wounds with hit batters and walks another big big bullpen meltdown that you know you, you got to try to 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 stem those you're going to blow one run leads but you can't blow four run leads in the late innings to a team like the Pirates so to come out of it with a split and, and basically to to not carry a three game losing streak in a Cincinnati I think you got to feel pretty good about that yeah I think that's fair I think that's fair and when I say the Giants outplayed the Pirates. Maybe I was uh, speaking out a turn there because you did point out they did get a lot of gifts. They did give a lot of gifts. You know, the, the Sam Selman walks were just uh, brutal. You know, you had just lots of bullpen meltdowns uh, that, you know, that that's not outplaying another team. But when I watched the two teams, it was clear that the Giants should have been the favorite. When I'm watching what the Giants are doing, when I'm watching what their starting pitching is doing, when I'm watching the hitters and the quality of the, the at-bats that they're taking, uh, you know, they did miss a lot of hittable pitches, but they're still doing the grind, grind, grind thing, which is, is part of the template. I just... It, I watched that team not, or that series not thinking that these are two evenly matched teams, which I shouldn't have been. Uh, at the same time, it just felt, it just feels like the Giants are starting to play up to their record a little bit, even as they're losing. I don't know of a better way to describe that, but like their losses hit harder because you're like, you're better than this, you bozos. Yeah, you know what? I think they even have the better Wilmer. Uh, not by much, <laughs> because Wilmer Flores has not really been doing much this season, and Wilmer Defoe does have quite a few pinch hits. But but sure. I, I think on the whole, I think the Giants would take their Wilmer over the Pirates' Wilmer. Wilmer's above replacement war, as we all know it. <laughs> Wilmer's <laughs> above replacement. Wilmer Fudd is the actual replacement level Wilmer. <laughs> Um, all right, oh, so that's just, Elmer Fudd. That's Elmer Fudd. I'm, I've got my... You know yeah. what? I wasn't going to say anything because you just Berenstein bears me. Like, I was just like Wilmer Fudd. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I was down... Like, that was that was Mandela effect. That was bizarre. My brain just uh, completely accepted Wilmer Fudd. Well, I'm going to see what else I can get past you now. <laughs> all right. Well, this leads into talk about the bullpen. Uh, uh, Andy, fix the bullpen uh, in 100 words or, or fewer. Uh, well, um, you just did in your piece... <laughs> And I think that you used more than 100 words because that that's good. We're paid by the word. People don't know that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I thought it was really interesting when whenever you like have one of these uh, like catch all, uh, let's throw a plate of spaghetti against the wall, but it'll be a very thoughtful plate of spaghetti. Um, and, and here are the minor league uh, free agents the Giants might target or here are the backup catchers they might target. Somewhere in that plate of spaghetti, you've got the right noodle. So so I I want you. I'm going to put you on the spot though, because of all the names that you suggested in your last piece about you know people who might be out there who could fix the Giants bullpen, who is your one guy that you're going to make the prediction on will, will be a Giant before the year's over? Who the prediction? The prediction? The prediction? Well, you know, I honestly don't think it's going to be Taylor Rogers. I don't think. I think the Twins are in a part of the success cycle where they're going to believe in their team a little bit more than the record and say, you know what, we got this guy for one more year at bargain basement prices. We're going to keep Taylor Rogers. So that's a fun pipe dream. Uh, <sighs> Uh, I, I wish think, that I, 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 I know I agree with you, but that one's just so much fun. It's so much fun at the same time. Like, 
I don't know. I'm still mad at the Twins for not taking Tyler Rogers in the Rule 5 draft two years in a row. And it, obviously, where would the Giants be without Tyler Rogers? My goodness, it would be a, a total tire fire in the bullpen. But at the if you're the Twins and you can just have this guy for free in two years in a row, you're like, nah, we're not going to put Twins on the Twins. That just bug. It still bugs the hell out of me. But I've I've written about that about 700 times, so I will answer your question. I'm going to say Cesar Valdez, uh, just because there's a lot of things going for him. And if you read the article, uh, Valdez is, is 36 years old. He has like almost no track record. He's appeared in 25 major league games since 2017. He has no fastball, right? He's, he's throwing in the mid 80s. And he's a changeup monster. He is a, a latter-day Trevor Hoffman. I don't know how much you can buy into it, but it's one of those things where if he's successful, I don't think the Orioles can ask a King's Ransom for a guy who throws in the mid-80s, who's 36, who has no track record. So I think like the price is going to be right. He's not going to cost a Canario or, or a Matos. Like, you know, it's not going to take all of your top prospects to get this guy. At the same time, he's under team control for a little bit. So if he's good this year, he might be good next year. It, there's just a lot that fits. The Giants aren't f uh, fastball velocity like uh, addicted. They can they can play around with a guy with a changeup. I'm really on board with getting the Orioles closer for all those reasons. What if the Orioles say, just give us Mike Yastrzemski and Kevin Gosman back. <laughs> this is like that thing with the Pirates where it, why would the Pirates deal with the Giants? You know, it's like when they make a trade, they get Ryan Vogelsong and then it's like, well, this didn't work. So they give Ryan Vogelsong away and then the Giants take him it's like, oh, we're just going to win a World Series with him. It's like, dang it. And it's like, all right, we'll sign Travis Ishikawa to a minor league contract. And then, well, this didn't work. And they give him away and he wins the Giants a pennant. It's like, ah, like why would the Pirates deal with the Giants at all anymore? Yeah. The only amazing thing is that Jose Bautista's career wasn't Armando Rios's career as a giant <laughs> after that trade. That's a good point. You know, I've, I've done, it's been a while since I've like tallied up all the things the Giants did to the Pirates from Javier Lopez to Vogelsong to Jason Schmidt uh, to Freddie Sanchez. And it all worked out in the Giants' favor. But watching Brian Reynolds hit uh, over the weekend, it's, it's making me think, okay, maybe this is turning around because that ended up doing really well for the Pirates. You know, Kyle Crick uh, hasn't had a bad career with the Pirates. And Brian Reynolds looks like a player the Giants could really use right now. Yeah, and, and I guess sort of the only residue from that series of transactions is, uh, I mean, what? I guess there's nothing really because the two players that uh, the Giants got from the Yankees for McCutcheon aren't really um, doing anything in the system. Um, I was thinking Gregory Santos, but no, he was. They got him for Nunez. Eduardo Nunez deal from from the Red Sox. So, yeah, not a whole lot left to show. Not even in sort of the the, the sort of the trade tree as you go out to the furthermost branches. And you know, it, they they took a shot, and, and obviously it cost them, and and uh, it, it didn't work out. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm just glad that I don't call him Brian Jennings anymore because it took me like four <laughs> years. I don't know if it's a William Jennings Brian thing. You know, but <laughs> the, the Y in Brian, something threw me off. And I, I've written it in print, actually, and I've caught it at the very last second. Um, I keep calling the dude Brian Jennings. And by the end of the four games, I said, you know what? I'm just going to say Brian Reynolds, Brian Reynolds, Brian Reynolds. And now whenever I look at him, I think of aluminum foil. That's what I do. I look at him. I see his sort of like 1984 Don Mattingly mustache, and I think aluminum foil. And then that reminds me that his name is Brian Reynolds. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paolo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so William's Jennings, William Jennings Bryan, not to go off on a tangent, which of course uh, we will. So he was the nominee. <laughs> if you're telling a story about <laughs> William Jennings Bryan, this is the definition of a tangent, just so you know. All right. So he had, according to Wikipedia, he had four nicknames. And I'm going to ask you to pick one of these nicknames. They're, number one, Boy Orator of the Platte. Number two, the Fundamentalist Pope. Number three, the Great Commoner. And number four, the Silver Knight of the West. Which one is empirically the best and which one would you choose to be called? Wow. Uh, so there isn't like a Scopes Monkey Trial reference somewhere in there? <laughs> there is uh, not. Inherit the, the uh, Wind Inheritor. The Wind Inheritor. Ooh, that sounds, yeah, that, that you wouldn't want that person at parties, I don't think. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll go with the. I'll go with the. What was the one you had? Like fundamentalist pope or something like the that. The fundamentalist pope. That's kind of badass. Sure, I'll go with that one. All right. I like the Silver Knight of the West, but I'm a simple man. But it, that is uh, a tangent we will never get to again. So let us uh, purge all the Williams, Jennings, Bryan's uh, references from the future and go Next back to episode. Five minutes straight on Eugene V. Debs. <laughs> oh, Mr. Debs, you socialist you scamp. Okay, uh, so when are the Giants going to like have that sense of panic with the bullpen? Is there still a trust the process going on right now with the bullpen? Like, no, 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 these guys are fine. We're going to figure out if it's Doval or we're going to play around with uh, Dominic Leone and Zach Littell. Like, are they still in that mode? Or is there a sense of, okay, we have to, you know, the Angels just traded for Hunter Strickland. I, I'm not saying the Giants should trade for Hunter Strickland, but... Is there a chance of a move soon? I mean, sooner rather than later? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Um, Steve Berman covered for us on Saturday, and he noted how many right-handed relievers have, you know, come through the Giants organization that they've let go that are having good years, including, mm -hmm. you know, Sam Coonrod, and, you know, there's a, a number of them out there. You know, I think it's a good question. I think they're just going to keep trying different personnel. And one of the biggest positives to come out, I think, of Sunday's game was that Matt Whistler had to pitch in kind of the role that 
that they envisioned him with a, a lead in a close game, a little more leverage. And he had a good inning. He had a nice clean inning. He threw strikes and um, they feel like his slider shape is starting to come around. What a tough spot it must be to be a guy who's basically a one pitch pitcher and that pitch isn't working. Yes. Where does that leave you to go? You're on a battlefield with no trenches. I mean, there's just no place for you to hide. And I think that they're going to keep trying different people and try to find some people they can trust beyond Tyler Rogers and Caleb Barragar. And, you know, maybe Harleen Garcia, he wasn't quite physically right to start the year, but he's a guy who looked like a really good reliever in the not too distant past. And so, you know, what if Whistler and Harleen Garcia become uh, guys who can, you know, take down that seventh inning or, or, or in that area? It's not like they don't have places they can turn to. They just need people to step up when they try them in those roles. And, uh, you know, and then other people might, you might have to back off them. I don't know if you back off Jake McGee or, you know, clearly they've been very, very concerned with his usage. So you got to wonder what he may be dealing with, uh, you know, because they're not throwing him out there, um, you know, three days in a row or even two days in a row very often. So, um, you know, they, they may have to, have other people try the ninth inning other than Tyler Rogers because you can't pitch him every day. And, and we know they tried Wandy Peralta in that role uh, here and there when they needed him. And then they, you know, they traded him for another piece they needed uh, in Mike Talkman. So, you know, I, I think Whistler is going to get more opportunities. I think Harleen Garcia is going to get more opportunities and, and they'll just sort of react in the moment because you're right. They do have other people they can turn to in the minors, including Leone, including Nick Tropiano, those people. But those also require 40-man moves, and they'll be a little difficult. And they're going to need a 40-man spot in the not-too-distant future uh, for Tyler Beatty when he finishes his Tommy John rehab. So, you know, those those roster spots, uh, you don't want to box yourself in before you have to. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And when you're talking about Matt Whistler as someone with uh, a one-pitch pitcher who is uh, having trouble with that pitch and that being a rough spot... So when you go under the hood with Whistler, you have his expected batting average, which is a stat that takes the exit velocity, the launching, blah, blah, blah. It's 206. So, you know, you're saying, OK, this is a guy who's missing bats sometimes. And there's stuff he's doing right. But Baseball Savant has a stat called meatball percentage. And it's what you think it's going to be. It's pitches right in the middle of the plate in the hit me zone up uh, center cut. And Whistler is the sixth highest meatball percentage in baseball. And that's among starters, that's relievers, and that's not good if you're not backing that up with 100 miles per hour. Because if, you, if you've got 100 miles per hour with spin, sometimes you can get away with meatballs. If you're going slider, 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 and the batter is up there going, I'm going to see a slider, the meatball percentage is really going to affect him more than other pitchers. So to see him get outs the way he's done the last two outings, that's a huge step for him. You know, some Whistler meatballs and some spaghetti on the wall. You, you've got a lunch going right there. <laughs> Oh, I wish. I wish I had a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. One of the problems with doing this podcast at this time, for whatever reason, we record about 1030 on average. 1030 is when my stomach starts to growl. And we have these, uh, we're professional podcasters, you and I, and so we've got nice mics. And I'm always terrified that you're going to hear my stomach growl on this podcast. It's like an Easter egg for the listeners at home. Ooh, nice. Well, just try not to inherit the wind. (laughs) Oh, I love a good callback. Uh, These are good points with Whistler. I think the Giants are going to stick it out with him. Camilo Doval, is that experiment about to end? Because I really, really appreciate the idea behind putting him out there in high leverage situations because the reward of him thriving and figuring it out and becoming that high leverage arm that the Giants are looking for, the reward is high. The risk is also high, but you're you're taking a home run. You're taking a, a 
uh, Rob Deere style cut at, at finding that right-handed relief option. I just don't know if they can keep doing it. Is, is he about ready to, to go back to Sacramento? I, I think so. I just, you look at it, he's not throwing the fastball hardly at all. And when he is, um, you know, he'll, he'll basically hit the target one out of four and he's not as wild with the fastball as Gregory Santos was, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's not working out. He can't get ahead with the pitch. It's, it's 99, you know, if he just has a little more idea where it's going, uh, and can execute, you know, up and down with it a little bit, uh, then you know, all of a sudden you got a guy who's pretty devastating, but for him just to go out and it's, it's been so easy for teams, even before he throws a pitch, um, you know, to, to sit on his slider until he can establish his fastball. Uh, it's not like they're, they're reacting in the moment. Uh, I mean, you know from the scouting reports that this is where he is right now. And I just don't under, I just don't see how it's productive to keep running him out there, um, especially in the spots that they've picked for him. So, yeah, I would not be surprised to see him, uh, you know, return to AAA and, and they tell him, look, let's just polish up your, your command a little bit. And, and maybe Kervin Castro is the next guy who gets an audition or, or, or maybe it's somebody else. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been tough to watch because, you know, he's out there kind of feeling like he's got one hand tied behind his back because he can't really trust his fastball location. Yeah, and th- that was exactly my thought. And it's weird that even when he hits his spot with his fastball, he's not necessarily blowing hitters away with 98, 99, 100. Uh, you know, they're slapping it to the opposite field. There seems to be an approach that is working against him where you sit slider, react fastball, and it, that sounds ridiculous when the guy's approaching triple digits. But you also know that not all fastballs are considered the same. Uh, you know, there might they might be seeing it out of his hand better than the radar gun reads because you watch a guy like Richard Rodriguez come in for the Pirates and he's throwing 92 to 94. He's not blowing people away, but those swings are late. And obviously the Giants with Tyler Rogers, what's he throwing? And there's still a lot of late swings on his fastball. It's almost like the other teams are seeing Duvall's uh, fastball out of his hand better than you would expect. It's like uh, Jake McGee. You know, he's got that ride on his fastball, and, and he, when he locates it up, uh, you think you're going to be on it, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you're not. So um, there are guys who just have that kind of ability to throw uh, a ball that doesn't have as much, um, or that just either is harder to square up. It's harder to, to see out of the hand or, or it's got some deception or, or just the way that it, its spin characteristics allow it to carry through the zone. You know, and we've seen it for years with, with Matt Cain. He just had that special fastball and he did, he never threw 98, uh, but his fastball could just be a devastating pitch. And um, it's because of that ride and that carry. Uh, and, and sometimes, like you said, if, if you're thinking slider against a guy and you sort of just make sure you keep your bat in the zone, uh, a lot of times the, when, when the pitcher supplies all that power and you're able to you know, maybe be a little bit late on a pitch but still get enough wood on it, it's going to have some exit velo to the opposite field and, and maybe it's going to slash down a line and be an extra base hit. Um, I mean, the Pirates did get a lot of you know, fairly, fairly cheap hits in, in the series in some damaging spots and you, know, you compounded it with some walks and some hit batters and, and that's how some big innings happened. But yeah, I, I think that uh, you know, it, it's not like... I mean, these are, these are the best hitters in the world, and it, it really does amaze me that uh, they can hit against velocity like that. But they train for it. They, they have machines that can crank it up that high. They have machines that they can calibrate for the exact type of pitch characteristics that they're going to face on a given day. It's it's just, I think that's one, been one of the biggest changes in the game in, in the last, you know, five years is their ability to, um, 
you know, kind of create simulated game conditions that are closer than ever to what a hitter's going to face in a game. And, you know, it's never been harder to hit. We see what the batting averages are for everybody not named Buster Posey. Um, uh, and yet, you know, it's 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 also, I think they're facing the toughest pitching ever, and, and they're still finding ways to succeed against it, just not at the rate they have in the past. So it's, I mean, it really is an interesting time in the game. Uh, and, and I think you do have to go out there and, and, and have, be able to execute more than one pitch if you're a Camilla Duvall to, to be successful. If I had a time machine or a game genie or, I, you know, I could just mess with uh, time and, and the temporal restraints of all this, I would bring Francisco Rodriguez, a 20-year-old Francisco Rodriguez from 2002, and put him in a 2021 game and just see how he does for the season. Because in 2002, he was a freak. He was, you know, throwing 99. He had something similar to, to Duvall's, like, like pitch selection. He was just nasty breaking stuff. 99, you, you throw him in the 2002 World Series and, and batters have, like, never seen this kind of stuff. Would he be the same today or would just be, oh, yeah, throw him on top of the pile. Like, yeah, we, we, we have six of these guys in the back. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. I just know that Barry Bonds still took him, you know, upper tank, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Yeah, put him back, uh, put Barry Bonds in 2021. I, I still think he does pretty darn, pretty darn well. I talked to him um, in uh, the spring of 2020, just right before everything kind of blew up with the pandemic. Um, I asked him, I said, how do you think you'd fare against the kind of stuff that you'd face? And he said, I mean, okay, this is Barry. So, you know, modesty is something you probably aren't going to expect from him. But he said, I, I'd, I'd love it. I think I would do great because, you know, I had to get ready to face a guy throwing under the hitting speed one day who could move the ball around. And then the next day, maybe you're, maybe uh, later in the game, you're facing a reliever that throws hard. Now, if everybody throws at the same speed and they're all throwing hard, hey, you know, that that's less of an adjustment for him to make. And uh, so he, he thought that he would be able to, you know, maybe be even better against the kind of pitching today. But, you know, that's a Barry Bonds answer. It also kind of makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll listen to him when he has to say. I, I think he, he's immodest, but also when you're like, the best why would you be modest i mean it's right. you know it's it's if you're gonna say you're the best and you might want to back it up and i think barry bonds has backed it up fairly well over his career yeah what do you want do you want false modesty and false humility or do you just uh want someone to say yeah you know i pretty much am the best ever yeah that's that's what i want all right um, we're gonna end it on a, a little bit of a something i've been working out in my head and this is going totally away from the bullpen discussion but Donovan Solano in the minor leagues, uh, he did a rehab assignment. I believe he was three for three, and he looked like the Donovan Solano of old. You have uh, Tommy LaStella with a, a strained hamstring. He's not as close as Solano, I don't think. Uh, at the same time, he's going to return sooner rather than later. The current roster, if you're going to fit both LaStella and Solano onto this roster there's going to be a change that happens. I mean, obviously you're going to get, you know, maybe Steven Duggar back to the alternate site, even though he's looked pretty good in the field and at the plate at times. What do the Giants do to add Listella and 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 Solano back to the rock roster? Is there a chance that uh, Dubon 
uh, goes back to Sacramento, possibly, even though he's been swinging a little bit better? Or is it just going to be as simple as Duggar down, the bullpen goes back down to uh, 12 pitchers, or the, the staff is down to 12 pitchers? How do you fit Listella and Solano back on a roster where you've sort of assumed that Mike Talkman is, is a big part of it? Mm, don't get your Duggar down, son. Um, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I think that uh, that is probably the likely move for for Solano is Duggar, but you know uh, we'll have to see how they come out of the Cincinnati series. I, I would imagine that Solano will be ready uh, to face the Dodgers, and and you know we saw it last year. There's no more tailoring and no more scheming that the Giants will do than to get ready for a series against the Dodgers, which will start with Alex Wood starting the first game, which will be kind of an interesting little story. They're only six and zero in his starts thus far this season, so that's pretty good. Um, so I think we'll have we'll see Solano back for the opening of the next homestand. Listella is still a couple of weeks behind him, though. I mean that that calf mm. they thought was going to be something that would uh, keep him out uh, for a while, so or not calf, but hamstring. Um, so I, I, I think that maybe they'll probably table those discussions because who knows what your roster needs are going to be in a couple weeks. Um, but uh, you're right. I mean, for now, uh, I think that uh, they almost might be missing Listella more than Solano because, you know, they don't have that extra left-handed bat against a right-handed pitcher right now, uh, whether it's Wilmer Flores who's been playing uh, or, or Dubon. And I, I agree that some of Dubon's at-bats have looked better. Uh, he also had took some really, really bad at-bats uh, yes. in Pittsburgh, especially Sunday. When you look at the StatCast data in terms of hard hit rate, average exit velocity, it is not good. His chase rate is really high. Um, you you see his, his instincts in the field and you know, he makes that fantastic play where he's running back um, Brian Reynolds to first base and and then, you know, pirouettes and throws to third and, and gets Adam Frazier. And, and if that hadn't survived a replay challenge, then it actually would have been a terrible play. But just a, a brilliant, just athletic move to spin and to throw on target there. And it reminded me of something like Omar Vizquel would do, you know, or the 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 athleticism that he makes. It, it's just such a breath of fresh air because other than maybe Duggar, there's no one else as athletic as him on this roster. And uh, I, I don't think they want to give up on that. And yet, you know, offensively, it's 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 been an issue. It's he's he's not adding a whole lot of value to to the. To the overall, so I think getting Solano back will be important, and getting Listella back, I think, will be maybe even more important for for getting more uh, favorable matchups. We are about three seasons in uh, to Devon's Giants career. Uh, he's played 117 games with them. I have absolutely no idea what to make of him still. Like I just don't. I've, I've, I don't remember a player like this where he's. It's not even like he's a Rorschach test. Like it, it's like I just I have no idea. It's, you're telling me that a train is going 75 miles per hour to El Paso. What are they serving on the the train? And it's like I don't have enough information. Like that's not the question you should be asking. Like I have no idea if he's going to be a plus plus player, an average player, a below average player. Like I have no opinions on him yet because everything is just so freaking confusing with him. Yeah, I you know the the at bat quality just hasn't been consistent enough. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like you're watching. Uh, a Matt Duffy, you know, where where you had you knew okay his 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 physical tools were going to limit him in some respects, uh, or or you know he was going to have some strength limitations, but he would just find a way to to contribute while he was healthy. And look at what he's doing for the Cubs now; he's having a, a great year. Good for, good for him. Good for the Duff man. Um, but yeah, it's you know, do you profile someone like that as an everyday regular? I, I'm not sure we're still at that point. 
Um, but, you know, they, they got him as one half of a deal for Drew Pomerantz. So, um, you know, until they have someone more compelling that they want to play, uh, I think he'll keep getting his opportunities. And, you know, the Giants are going to have some compelling people coming up pretty soon uh, who can play some different positions. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think that there is only so much uh, runway that, that he's going to have. But they're sufficiently um, intrigued by his positional flexibility and his athleticism to keep giving him that runway for now. So, you know, that, that's a good thing. One thing that I think about is, it's, so I'll put, when players are struggling with their chase rate and their swing decisions, I'll think of a guy like Jeff Francoeur, who just, he did not, he was not able to tell the difference between a breaking ball and a fastball quick enough to succeed in the major leagues. It was, I remember interviews with him where he was like, look, I'm, I understand the ideas. Like I, I get why taking pitches and not swinging at sliders in the dirt is important. I get it. I really do. For, for whatever reason, I'm just not picking that up in time. And that's what I need to work on. He never really could work on that. And so I don't think Dupont's in that bucket, though. Like, I don't see that with him because in the second half of last year, we saw the guy who was like able to lay off those tough pitches more often than not. We saw what a fully formed Dubon could be. So it's not like he doesn't have the neurons connecting at the speed he needs to. It's just... I don't know. It's just, there's just, he goes back and forth. He's one of the streakier players I remember. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's, his instincts, I think at times can be just really, really good. And then other times maybe he doesn't know his limitations. And, Hmm. you know, is that something that you get better at the more you're, uh, the more experience you have, or is it something where, Hey, you know, if you keep running into outs and knocking over Ron Lotus in the coach's box, coach's box, you know, we want you to get better, but you know, at what cost to, to, to our, ability to score and prevent runs. So yeah, it's, it's probably a really tough thing to try to figure out where you're investing playing time. Uh, Cause you do see talent and you want him to get better and you believe he can be an asset, but uh, you're also trying to win baseball games too. So uh, in the meantime, you know what player like that exciting to watch cause you don't know what to expect. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 133 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. By the time we get back here on Thursday, we'll know what in the heck they did in Cincinnati. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it's historically good. So uh, we'll be back here on Thursday to talk about it. Thanks so much for listening.